So, you know, we do questions here in our Sunday school class. And if ever you have a question, you can either give it to myself or uh, my dad, or you can dump it off in the box in the back, one of those things, whatever it is that you have. Um, we try to answer those questions because we want to learn about things. We want folks to know things that they're struggling with or things that they've just wanted to know about. So we got a couple questions we're going to hit today, a couple that hopefully we'll be able to cover and answer. Uh, first one, I'm going to start off with who is Melchizedek? All right, who is Melchizedek? And why is he a big deal? Why do we care about a guy named Melchizedek? Well, I'm going to start off when I was in my mother's womb, which was a little bit, a little bit ago. Uh, my parents had two possible names for me. One was if I was a girl, I was going to be Cena Marie. And I don't think I look like a Cena Marie, so... <laughs> that was a family name. Uh, but if I was a boy, my name was going to be Levi. And the point of the name was that my inheritance, the, the, if you know anything about the biblical story of Levi, my inheritance was going to be God. And that's what Levi essentially means or stands for, is that my inheritance would be God. And I always say that's probably because my parents didn't have two nickels to rub together to give to me. So it's all right, right? <laughs> So the idea goes way back with the tribe of Levi and starts off with a place where I know the adults have gone through the book of Joshua lately, and the teenagers also went through the book of Joshua. In the book of Joshua, the Israelites finally get to the promised land. And they fulfill the promises of God from generations before. Now, those generations started with a man named Jacob. Okay? And Jacob is, was the beginning of a tribe called Israel. And I say that, and that's true if you know history, but not true as well. It actually started before Jacob. But... Jacob had 12 sons, and the 12 sons were the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, one of which was the tribe of Levi. Levi, of course, along with all the other tribes, grew, and he was given an inheritance. For, uh, when his father died, he was told about his inheritance. And years and years later, by the time they go through uh, all of the tribes actually lived through being enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. And then they are freed when Moses comes and takes them. And they are taken across and they're ready to go right into the promised land. But they can't quite make it because they don't believe. The 12 spies go in to come back, Joshua and Caleb, and say, we can make it. We can take these giants. And the other guy says, oh, no. We are, 10 of them say, we're, we're like little grasshoppers. We're afraid to go in. So God takes them around in the desert uh, for 40 years until that entire generation goes away. And with the new generation comes in with Joshua, and Joshua takes the land, and after they're done, they split the land. 
and the tribes of Israel all get land, and they all get a specific inheritance except for the tribe of Levi. And there's specific details, and Levi specifically gets parts of each of the inheritance to stay in. They get a town inside of Judah, or several towns inside of Judah, and the people of Levi get to stay there, and it's designated, but it's all within Judah's inheritance, okay? Because they don't really own the land. They kind of get to use it as they need to. But their sole purpose is not to farm and grow and build. Their sole purpose from the original uh, tribe of Levi was that they would be priests. And thus, that's why they are spread out in each of the tribes. They are there to help each of them, each of those tribes, uh, to help administer God's services to the people. That's why they're there. So when it talks about going in and slaughtering a lamb, the, the priests do the slaughtering. It's all the tribe of Levi. And it wasn't a uh, glorious job, for sure. Anybody who's ever stepped foot or done any slaughtering, that is not a glorious job. There's a lot of effort and a lot of work. It's tiring work. And if you're doing things like a lamb and sheep, that's a lot. But you're doing things like cows... That's a whole lot more. And you're talking sometimes when they were doing them in the temple, it ended up where they were doing hundreds and thousands even in a day. So you're talking huge groups of people and a lot of work, not to mention other parts and pieces of administering uh, the religion to the Jews. Okay, So God gave them a purpose. They are to live within those tribes and they are not to get land as far as this is our tribe's land. They are to go and work for the people. That's their inheritance. And their inheritance, God himself says, I'm going to give you myself as an inheritance. All right, so it meant something that they have a purpose and they have a job. And God was going to bless them in a lot of ways. Now, he provided for them through the ways the ceremonies worked and all sorts of things. Now, as the tribe grew, and just before, uh, just kind of as Joshua was there, Moses, through God's instruction, sets up the tabernacle. And the tabernacle is... A movable temple. All right? So with the tabernacle comes specific duties. Now, there was not a place where God was specifically worshipped all the way through the years of slavery or any of those before because oftentimes you'd see Abraham would set up uh, a bunch of rocks and he would have a, a sacrifice somewhere up on a mountaintop or somewhere in a specific place where he felt he wanted to speak to God, he would have that. But eventually, God put in the tabernacle and says, I want you to build it this way. And it was essentially a movable tent-type temple. And they'd pick it up and carry it all with them and set it all back up. And the Levites were specifically meant, as they were traveling, 
to help administer the tabernacle. And within the tabernacle uh, was a, so there was an outer court of the tabernacle and an inner holy place where only the Levites were allowed. And then inside a smaller room, which was pretty small, um, I think it was 10 cubits by 10 cubits by 10 cubits, all right? And a cubit is the length from your finger to your elbow, basically, your fingertip to your elbow, about 18 inches. That little room was the Holy of Holies. And that was a room where God's presence came and sat on the Ark of the Covenant. So there were wingtips, golden wingtips, and God would come in and sat once they got the temple set up. You would see his glory come in and set in there. Once he was in there, no one was walking in there. And they weren't coming out alive if they did. So you were to understand that you don't and can't approach God. With that building of the, the tabernacle came a requirement that there would be a high priest amongst the Levites. All right? And from the tribe of Levi came Moses' brother, Aaron. He was to be where all high priests came from. So once a year, the high priest, along with a lot of other duties, would make a sacrifice for himself first to forgive his sins, and then he would enter into the Holy of Holies with a sacrifice for the people, the nation. And he was only allowed to do that after he made his own sacrifice for himself. Once he went by that curtain, if his heart was not right with God, he would drop dead. So you want to make sure you got it all set before you walk behind the curtain. All right? And there was no fooling around with it. And in fact, generations of high priests, and many of them, uh, would take and tie ropes around their ankles tie bells on their clothes because you could go up to the other side of the curtain and as long as you heard bells, sometimes they'd go in there and they'd be in there for days. And God would speak with them and talk with them and they'd pray. And sometimes if the bells stop jingling, you yank on the rope a little and see if he's still alive and you yank him out. And that's what came to be because you didn't go in and get him. There was no way to do it. All right? So this job became an important job because you were giving intercession, intercession for the people, the whole nation. Or you're asking God's forgiveness, right? For the nation. Now, a picture of what's to come. Now that's always what's happening, right? Is a picture of what's to come. So Aaron and all of his descendants were all high priests. Or were all able to be high priests. And there was no other. Except. There's another exception. Okay. And that's where Melchizedek comes in place. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter number 5 as we look at this. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, verse number 1. 
as we look at the high priest, now this is Paul writing the book of Hebrews, and he is talking about some very lofty stuff. Um, He is uh, an intelligent mind, Paul is. It's often difficult to read his his books and his letters. There's a lot in them. They're packed. Each sentence is packed. But we're going to look at particularly a high priest, and he begins to to make a connection and show not only where they were today, but the history and tie it all together. So let's start with Hebrews chapter 5, verse number 1. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in the things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. All right, so there's something to know is every high priest that came from Aaron, all those high priests are sinners too. They are sinners as well, and that's why they must offer forgiveness for themselves. But in offering forgiveness for themselves, they begin to understand what it is to need forgiveness and thus can, can have uh, compassion on those around them. And not saying, well, I'm better than everybody, but saying, I need forgiveness too. Right? And to me, that is one of the greatest things that leaders need to do in churches. I will tell you, oftentimes, most oftentimes, uh, before I teach... I ask forgiveness because I usually have a list of things that I've done wrong, things that I've not thought right. And to stand up here and tell other people when I'm not right with God is very difficult. In fact, it's not right, in my opinion, to do it. And so I have to to understand and and understand and administer and have compassion on people. I have to understand, yes, I'm a sinner, and I need forgiveness too. Before I can talk to others about God's forgiveness, I need to make sure I'm right with God. All right? It's important to me. And so there's the priest, the high priest. They are human, so they ask for forgiveness. But it does help them in administering to people, saying, yeah, when you come, I understand, you're out of the way, you're off the path, or you don't have any knowledge at all, I'm here to help you. Let me help you back. All right, verse number uh, three. And by reason hereof, he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. And no man taketh his honor unto himself, but he that is called as was Aaron, all right? So you can't pick to be a high priest. You don't just say, well, we're going to say, yeah, you're the high priest. You had to be from the line of Aaron. There was no other way. Aaron was the way, okay? And you had to be from the tribe of Levi, from Aaron's line to be a high priest. And that was God that sets that in motion, all right? So if we go to... Verse number five, now we're going to see something a little different. And so as also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, and today have I begotten thee. 
So Jesus didn't say, I'm your high priest. But God said, you are going to be the high priest. God said to Jesus, you're the high priest. All right? I made you that way. And he said also in another place, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet he learned, learned he by obedience the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. All right? So here is this new guy that comes along. Jesus is a high priest. Okay? So he is, he is that high priest that can go into God's presence and ask forgiveness for the people. In fact, when he died, he tore the veil of the temple in half. Top to bottom, said, Zoop. It's done. Now I'm the one by which you can enter. So every man can approach God through Christ. He is our high priest. But he says he's after the order of Melchizedek. Now Melchizedek is not from Aaron's line. Aaron, this Melchizedek was way before Aaron existed. All right. So skip along to chapter 7 in the book of Hebrews. In chapter 7, we get a little more of the story of Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, that's verse number 1, chapter 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, First being, by interpretation, king of righteousness, and after that, king of Salem, which is the king of peace. Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abiding a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of his spoils." So Abraham one day, remember I told you this would start way before Jacob, right? Abraham was really the first man in Israel to get the promise of having the 12 tribes of Israel, the sons of Israel, okay, and the promised land. Abraham is the man who one day after he has gone and had a righteous battle with kings and killed them, all right, he goes and he meets this man called Melchizedek, who we now know is a king over a place named Salem. All right? Salem. He is a king, and he's also called a priest. So you look at that, and you say Melchizedek is a king and a priest, which had always been kept separate. But not with Melchizedek. Apparently God gave this particular man a specific task to do. 
Melchizedek was both king and priest. And it's of a place called Salem. Now that's where the word, and you probably heard uh, translated, shalom, okay? The word shalom means peace. So he is a king, it calls him of righteousness and of peace. Melchizedek is called out as this. And then it says a very strange thing. Who has no father, who has no mother, who has no place where he's come from and no place he went to. So is he some guy that God placed down there and wasn't born from women and men? I don't think that's necessarily what he's talking about. Although God can do anything, I think what he's saying is we don't even know where this guy came from. We can't trace his lineages. He just showed up one day and Abraham knew all about him and went and said, you're the guy that God has appointed and I'm giving you a tenth of what I have. Way before the tribe of Levi ever entered the scenes. And so... Melchizedek is this person of unknown origins. We don't know anything more about him in the Bible except right there. We see the story, but that's all we know right there. The story happens back in Genesis, and it's just that's that much detail. This is actually more detail saying we don't know where he came from. We don't know where he went to. We don't know who his mom and dad was. But this is why he's called out. Just like anything we learn from in the Bible, right? We learn from all these things. God set this all up to say, you need a high priest to get to God. But you know what? This high priest, all these high priests have sin in their life. This one, where we don't know where it came from and went to, Jesus is like that, he says. Jesus didn't come from the tribe of Levi came from the tribe of Judah. But his heart was perfect before God, right? He, he was God, and he was the only one able, of his own accord, to be the go-between, the mediator between God and man. There's only one that's available that's free of sin. All these other guys had to ask for forgiveness. So all of this was a picture pointing towards what would come and when Jesus came, he said, where did he come from? He's not out of the tribe of Levi. He's not one of the sons of Aaron. Nope. He's a whole different thing. And God put him in place and said, you don't know where he come from. You don't know where he went to. You can't tell me why he is that, but I made him that. He's the priest, the high priest for all. Okay? So he comes as a human, and he dies and offers the sacrifice of himself which gives access to God and so that makes Jesus on the order of Melchizedek. So he's like this guy. Now, you could say, well that's really interesting. I want to figure out all about Melchizedek. The point is, you don't know where he came from, you don't know where he went to and it doesn't matter. The point is that Jesus is like that. It's supposed to be mysterious where he comes from. And that's why he's given that. So that's who Melchizedek is. He was a high priest. 
and a king. Now Jesus also comes in and he is the king of peace, right? The prince of peace. He is a king and priest. Which again, that's why he's on that same wavelength that God says he's like this. I just brought him in and said, there he is. That's who the one is that you need to pay attention to. And so we have a high priest, all right? Jesus Christ, it says, is our high priest, and he knows about our sicknesses, our weaknesses. He said, cannot he be touched by the feelings of our infirmities? Or in other words, all the things that make us weak and human, he knows about them because he lived life, but he lived it perfectly. So he knows the struggles we go through. He went through temptations but he didn't fall. He's the only high priest ever to do that. And so that makes him stand out above any others. And that's the point, is to, to single him out and say, Jesus is like these other high priests, but not really. He's more. He's better. And he comes from nowhere, and he goes to here, and he's able to fulfill all the needs. All right? So that's Melchizedek and what we know about between Jesus and Melchizedek. Erase all that, hopefully not from your mind. And we have one more question to answer. And here's one that everybody wants to know. If we were to go to Matthew chapter 7. One of God's promises, Matthew chapter 7. It's so simple and so easy, and yet it doesn't seem like it's always the case. Matthew chapter 7, verse number 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what, ma- or what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If then you, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good gifts to them that ask him? So how come I don't have what I ask for in prayer? Right? Pretty easy. Doesn't it say it? Ask, and it shall be given. Right? That's where I'd like to stop, right there. I tell you, God, and then you do it, right? Isn't that how that goes? Not really, right? (laughs) It specifically calls out for some things in there. It says if a father, if a father's biased by his son to give him a piece of fish or a piece of bread, he gives him a piece of fish or bread and even says that. But I want you to think just for a moment, just use your logic here for a moment. My kids ask for candy, right? They love candy. I have one in particular who cannot stop eating candy. She gets a chocolate bunny, that day it's gone. The whole thing, doesn't matter how big it is. It makes no difference. She's going to eat the whole thing and she will not eat anything else, okay? Okay. Uh, so down, you're down to three. You don't know who, but <laughs> she's 
She won't ask for broccoli if she's got candy, okay? <laughs> I'm just saying, she's not going to say, boy, I'd really love a piece of broccoli when there's a chocolate bunny sitting on her plate. And she would ask for it every single day if she could, if we'd give it to her. But I know I cannot give her chocolate every day, right? It may seem like a fantastic idea, and to her, she has no reason why we would not accept that we hate her, right? That's the only reason we wouldn't give her chocolate every single day, except that we're bad parents and we hate her. And yet I know behind that, there really is more to it, right? Because I know if she ate chocolate every day, she would not be healthy. At least a lot of chocolate every day, right? If that's all she ate was candy, and I dumped a bunch of candy on her plate every single day, all day, she would not be healthy. I know that. She might want it. She might ask for it. She might demand it. She might say we're the worst parents in the world if we don't give it to her. And yet, it's not the right thing to do. Okay? So... She's not actually asking for a piece of fish or a piece of bread, which is specifically what they call out there. And it says, God, of course, gives good gifts to those who are his children. So there's a little more that we should know, all right? A little more than just candy. Now, I like to put it up here, and I sometimes use this with the teenagers. Uh, these are God's answers to prayer. No, there's one, okay? Slow, there's another one. Grow and go. Those are God's answers to prayers, all right? There are multiple options of why things might not be the way we think they are. Ask and it shall be given to. God, you said I should ask you and you'd give it to me. And so I asked and I don't have it. All right, so he didn't say go yet. All right, so why is it possible? Well, let's look up no, because that's everybody's least favorite first. We'll get that one done. James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse number 1. Get rid of the, the least favorite one first. And James chapter 4, verse number 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? All right, so this is saying, why do you have battles amongst yourself? And that's not necessarily saying amongst people, although it could be. Many times it's fighting amongst your members. In other words, you have a battle inside of you, as well as oftentimes with people around you. Where does it come from? They said your members, the physical parts of you, your body want something and they want it now why should i wait i want it now all right that's what lust is is i want this and i want it now i'm not gonna wait i want it now verse number two you lust and you have not 
You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. Wait a minute. If you just ask, isn't that true? Let's keep going. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. All right? Sometimes our motive is just this. I want it because I want it. That's it. Because I want to feel good. Or I want to make it. I don't care what you think, God. I want it and I want it now. All right? It says it in such a way to consume it on your lusts. I want it now, God, whatever it is I ask for, and that's it. Sounds kind of demanding, doesn't it? Sounds kind of ungrateful. And it is. And God says, no. Sometimes that's his answer. You can't have that. It's not for you. All right? That's sometimes God's answer because your motive is not the right motive behind it. You just want it for yourself. End of story, and I don't care anybody about anybody or anything else in the whole picture. Now, along with that, let's skip back a couple pages in James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse number 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. All right? So you should be happy when you're struggling. That's what it says. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. So first thing he brings up is this, patience. Patience. The thing everybody wants, but nobody wants to get. Because that's the hardest thing. The worst thing is you've got to wait for patience, right? It's terrible. Waiting for patience. And sometimes his answer is, just go slow. Things aren't ready yet. It might be other people. It might be other things around you and situations around you. And the thing you want may be okay. And it might be in God's will. But it might not be time for it yet. So have patience with it. And then he also says, look for wisdom. And if you ask for wisdom in these things, he says your faith has to be stable. Don't think if you're all around like the waves on a sea that you're tossed around and, you, and your faith is unstable that you're going to get things from God. He says, learn to trust and have confidence in God no matter how you feel. 
that he does care about you, whether you feel up and everything's fantastic or you feel down and I can't believe God's against me, okay? And that's not how you feel, right? That's being driven by every wind in your life. As soon as when everything's up, praise God, and when everything's down, oh, he's always against me. That's not the truth. Understand that God is steady. We are not. So understand, sometimes it is just waiting for God and growing. All right? Sometimes it's not other people around. Sometimes it's just us that's not ready. I'm not mature enough to do these things. I'm not ready to do these things. All right? Now let's shift back to Matthew. Matthew chapter number 6, verse number 31. As we start to look at our priorities and how things are, we need to take a shift here. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 31. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. All right? So if you're asking for the things in life, God says, I know it already. The next verse, verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I read that again. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. So if we have a shift, a priority shift, if we have a priority shift in our life, we begin to see things as they should be. We begin to say, you know what? If I do what he asks me to do first, if that's what I care about very first, is God's kingdom God promised me that all the rest of the things will be taken care of. You'll have it. I know what you need. God knows better what you need than you know what you need. He knows before you know you need it. So can he give it to you? Absolutely. And he will. But his point is to get you to seek his kingdom first. To get you to stop thinking selfishly and start thinking about God's kingdom. And if you make that promise and say, God, I'm going to take care of your business, you take care of mine. He'll do it every time. Every time. He promises that. And so with the slow and the grow, those are often, here's your answer. Ask and it shall be given to you. Sometimes it's no. Because we don't have the right motive because we have the wrong idea behind something. Sometimes it's slow. We need patience, wisdom, faith. Sometimes our whole priority needs to shift. And sometimes it's going. Everybody's waiting for this one, right? <laughs> Psalm 37. To finish up, Psalm number 37. Verse number 1. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like grass, and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord, and do good. 
so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily shalt thou be fed. So sometimes we seek after other things. We seek to make situations right with people. We want justice. And we pray for those things. And in Psalm 37, it begins out and says, don't seek after that. Let God do it. Trust God can handle that. And he will feed you and take care of you and put you in your home along the way, right? You'll dwell on the land and you'll be fed. Verse number four, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of their heart. Commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth the righteousness as light and the judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. So this is what he says. Yes, God will give you the desires of your heart. But with that, delight yourself in the Lord. Commit yourself to the Lord. Rest in the Lord and wait in the Lord. And then when you can patiently sit and wait oftentimes, you look back and if you have been living where you've shifted your priorities and put yourself to that, you've you've delighted in God. You begin to put a different face on what you do in life, a different direction. You commit and rest and wait in God. I guarantee when you look back, you will see that God fulfilled everything you've ever desired. He knows them. He knows what you really wanted. He knows those things from your childhood, those things from your desire. And they may not always be physical assets, although they could be. They might be a real friend along the way. There might be something you've been trying to fill and God, you've been saying to God, I need this to feel like I need to feel. Or I need this to fulfill me. And God says, you don't need that. I know what you need. You might need a relationship with a, with a friend in your life that God fulfills and works through and you look back and say, I never even knew that I wanted that, but God worked and gave me what I needed, what I really did want. So be careful to look back and not just say, hey, I asked for that on Tuesday and how come I don't have it today? Because God is working on your behalf, constantly working on your behalf. He knows you don't need a plate full of candy every day. All right? Though you think you do, and you're quite sure it would be awesome if you had it. Right? He knows better than that, and he won't let you do that. But he looks to fulfill what is real and true and what you really do need. Look back, you'll be shocked. If you start looking back at all the things you do have, whether it's your family or your health, all the days you've been healthy in your life, the food that he's provided every single day of your life, jobs that you've had, your home, your family, a church 
to be in. More than just a building to go to. Maybe peace in your life. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was a piece of property or something. You were looking for satisfaction in your life. I guarantee if you put him first and you seek him first, you delight and commit and rest and wait. He gives you all the things. That's his promise. I didn't say it. He said it. I will give you the desires of your heart. Delight in me. I will give you the desires of your heart. His promise. Yes, he will. But understand there's maturity involved, and he doesn't do it without a lesson, right? You don't let your kids eat candy every day. You teach them how to do other things. You teach them how to eat healthy. You show them the way so that they can do it too on their own, so that their desires are right. Maybe someday she'll like broccoli. I don't know. All right. <laughs> All right. And that's the answer for that question. Uh, we looked over Melchizedek. We looked over asking and it shall be given to you. A couple of questions that came in. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Thank you.